Warning, wicked wanderers may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Wanderers. Welcome to Wicked Wanderers Podcast. I'm your wicked hostess, Jacqueline. I hope everybody had an amazing weekend and went on a adventure. I sure did. We were at the Bonnaroo Music Festival. And thankfully, it wasn't a million degrees out like last year. We had a great time. I probably slept one to two hours each night. The ride home did suck. It was raining, and it has continued to rain every day since I've been home. If you are new to this podcast, we travel to a destination. I discuss a haunted place, some dark tourism, as well as some fun things to do while we are there. So pack your bags. We're going to Connecticut. Welcome to the Constitution State, or the Nutmeg State. Connecticut is in the northeastern corner of the country, with a mix of coastal cities and rural areas. It is bordered by Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New York. It is one of the original 13 colonies and one of the six New England states. It is known for having great universities and it is rich in American culture. Before we get to our first destination, here are some fun facts and crazy laws in Connecticut. A pickle must bounce before it is officially a pickle. Is there an official pickle bouncer? And how does one get that job? You cannot discharge a firearm on a public highway. Well, I would hope this would be illegal. It is illegal to dispose of razor blades. So what are you supposed to do with them? Do people just have piles of razor blades in their house? I have no idea. You are not allowed to cross the road walking on your hands in Hartford. Kudos to anybody who can walk on their hands for that long. Apparently, in Southington, they don't like to have fun because silly string is banned. Arcades are not allowed to have more than four amusement devices. Do not use your bean whistle in Meridian. It's illegal. Again, they just don't like to have fun. No beautician can hum, whistle, or sing while working on a customer. 
Somebody must have been a horrible singer for this to become a law. I truly dislike this one. Only white Christmas lights are allowed in Guilford. I hate white Christmas lights. They are so fucking boring. I like the color lights, the ones with the extra purple in it especially. What a boring thing to do for Christmas. Politicians are not allowed to campaign at the town dump. Even though that's where they should do it, since all of them are full of shit. In Bloomfield, it is illegal to eat in your car. And no, you cannot pull over, park, turn your car off. If you are eating in your car, it is illegal. You have to physically get out to eat. It is illegal to dress like a clown with the intent to cause alarm. This came to law after the scary clown epidemic. I remember that. Creepy people in fields in middle of the roads dressed as clowns. Chasing people. Yeah, fuck that shit. I'm glad that is a thing of the past. Balloons cannot have advertising on them. Willimanick Borough in Wyndham County. Horses are not allowed on the streets and highways at night. Unless the animal has a bright red taillight securely attached to its rump. It is illegal to sell beverages on Decoration Day. Independence Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, New Year's Day, Sundays, or Christmas. What is Decoration Day? I've never heard of this day before, and I definitely don't get it off of work. So if somebody knows, let me know. I could Google it, but I'm lazy. There is a $1 fine if you frown in public. It is against the law to see a UFO. I don't think anybody's intentionally trying to see a UFO, so I don't know how you could prevent doing so. I guess just don't tell anybody about it. The state bird is the American robin. The state flower is the mountain laurel. The first Pez manufacturing facility in the United States was in Connecticut. The first written constitution was in Connecticut. Connecticut is home to the first hamburger. Dinosaur tracks have been found in Connecticut. And it is home to Ed and Lorraine Warren. And now it is time for our first destination. We will be going to Easton, to the Union Cemetery. This cemetery is known to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in the United States. The cemetery was opened in the 1700s. That was over 400 years ago. The oldest gravestone is from 1761 but historians believe that there are earlier graves that were destroyed or that are unmarked. The cemetery is a paranormal hotspot 
Ghost hunters visit this cemetery frequently. The notorious demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren have even been to the cemetery, and they say this place is truly evil. They wrote a book about it in 1992 called Graveyard, True Hauntings from an Old New England Cemetery. There are verified stories of tragic events that have either taken place at or around the cemetery. Two girls were killed in a car accident right in front of the cemetery. A man committed suicide by using dynamite. That's a truly horrific way to go. There was a demonic possession of a nine-year-old boy. That's random. I hope he's okay. And a woman tried to stab her husband in the middle of the night for no apparent reason. I'm sure there was a reason. She just says there isn't. Union Cemetery is home to several spirits, including a lady in white. The lady in white is encountered the most. The Vosper Brothers. Tony, now a retired Connecticut firefighter, and Ryan encountered the lady in white as children. They lived in a house above the cemetery, and while playing in the cemetery, they saw a bright white light. And in the middle of this bright white light was a beautiful woman. They watched her float through the cemetery but she was not alone. She was surrounded by dark figures that seemed to be arguing with her. The lady in white was wearing an old-fashioned wedding dress and veil. Ryan would see her again when he was older. But she was just alone, walking up to the entrance of the cemetery and then vanishing. He saw her again, and this time he was driving, and he saw her shimmering white light alone in the cemetery. Another experience of the lady in white was of a man who recently lost his wife. He would visit her often, and one night while kneeling at his wife's grave, he looked up and saw a lady in white. And she said to him, I wish my husband loved me as much as you love your wife. And then she disappeared. Ed Warren captured the lady in white on video. The lady in white is usually sighted in the roadway along Route 59 or sometimes 111. There are several reports of vehicles passing through her. An off-duty fireman thought he hit a woman in white while driving one evening in 1993, only to find nothing on the road but a large dent in his car. Police have reported seeing the lady in white, 
and there have been unexplainable images and audio recordings of a woman screaming through the cemetery, as well as videos of strange white mist. Most sightings of the lady in white describe her as having long, dark hair, wearing what looks like to be a white nightgown and bonnet. Some think the woman is Ellen Smithers, wife of John Smithers. John's body was found in a sinkhole behind the church, weighed down with iron chunks in his pocket. Richard Dean Jason confessed to this man's murder. Others feel that the lady in white is the soul of Miss Knott. Thomas D. Agostino wrote in the Yankee Express the following, quote, Another prime candidate might be the soul of Ethel Hutchinson Knott the wife of George Knott, whom Elwood Wade murdered in 1920 after an argument at the Knott residence. The two planned to murder her husband, but were caught and brought to justice. Miss Knott spent the rest of her life in prison, and Wade was hung for the murder. There are no records of Miss Knott but it is conceivable that she may be haunting the area looking for restitution or a chance to tell her side of the story. She could be bound to this locale by eternal remorse. End quote. Another legend is of a couple in a carriage that was on their way to get married at the Our Lady of the Rosary church there was a tragic accident either just her or both of them died the lady in white was buried at another cemetery and her fiance was buried at the union cemetery so she walks between the two searching for him that's why she's seen often on the road the last two people who may be the lady in white is Harriet Seeley Bryan. She married Titus A. Bryan on February 10th, 1836, and just nine days later she tragically died. Or Harriet R. Seeley, who died eight days after giving birth in May 1853 to a son who also died. She was only 24 years old. Her inscription reads, Nay, do not weep. You'll all come soon. That's ominous. Another tale is of Don Parrish. He was a 41-year-old cemetery sexton, tending to the ground and doing handiwork in the area. One day, he was hiking the countryside that surrounded the cemetery when he saw the dark man. A man dressed in black minister clothes that people wore about 200 years earlier. 
Don followed the man calling to him, and the dark man simply vanished. One day, he brought his friend Aaron to the cemetery to try and spot the dark man again, and Don spotted it. Close to the perimeter of the cemetery was a young man wearing deer skins and a raccoon hat, the garb of a 17th century deer stalker. I mean, that's not the same man, but he saw something again. Don asked, what are you doing? And the young man responded in hard-to-understand English, as if it was a form from an earlier time. He said he was going to meet some friends and was going to cut across the field. Don knew that the path would be leading him directly into the Easton Reservoir. But the reservoir wasn't always there. The young man walked away and vanished right before their eyes. After this, Don's obsession became worse. He began studying the occult and paranormal. He had trouble sleeping and lost a lot of weight. A few weeks later, Don committed suicide. On the day Don was buried, a local conservation officer saw a mysterious figure of a man dressed in deer stalker clothes standing on the hill above Union Cemetery watching. The Warrens felt that those that were obsessed with the cemetery were either possessed by a negative entity or energy. Earl Kellogg. It was the Great Depression of 1935. Jane Kellogg ran an inn in the nearby town. Her husband Earl was a very violent, jealous man, and any man who paid his wife attention would pay. It was said he would hear voices. The voices said his wife was cheating. The voices would say the harlot must be punished. It is uncertain what triggered Earl, but he developed hatred for a local carpenter. One day, he lured this carpenter into a wooded area across the street from Union Cemetery. He knocked him unconscious and then lit him on fire. That is a awful death. Earl fled. He said the demon that was possessing him took over. Earl wouldn't say why he committed the crime or why he chose the area near the Union Cemetery to commit it. He also had an obsession with the cemetery. Another entity at the cemetery is Red Eyes. Some think that maybe it's the carpenter or it's Earl Kellogg himself. Because of vandalism, occult activities and rituals, and general destructive behavior, the graveyard is strictly off-limits after dusk. And yes, the Easton Police Force does enforce this. The address for the cemetery is 850 Sport Hill Road in Easton, Connecticut. Wow, that is a lot of action going on at Union Cemetery before we get to our final destination, here are some unique things 
to do in Connecticut. Let's start off with a bang. Pelasco's Farm in Trumbull, Connecticut. This farm opened in 1925 by the first-generation immigrants from Czechoslovakia, Martin and Mary Pelasco, and it is the last remaining fully operational farm in Trumbull. I love this place. There is an iconic red farm barn with all kinds of adorable animals, including donkeys. My mom has a miniature Spanish donkey named Eeyore. He is so sweet and fat. He even gives you paw or hoof. He is absolutely precious. Anyways, let's get back on track to this farm. It is absolutely gorgeous inside this barn. It is like rustic farm chic, as if it just came out of an HGTV magazine. Did I mention ultra premium homemade ice cream and Italian ices, which are made fresh daily on the premises? They use only the highest quality ingredients. You can even watch them make it through a viewing window and sample one of their many flavors. And if that doesn't get you, because I'm already all in eating ice cream, well, they have a bakery with fresh European-style bread, which is mouth-watering, Pelasco pies made with the freshest ingredients, Pelasco Farms was voted best tasting in Connecticut. They have apple cider and pumpkin spice donuts as well. I'm in heaven. The whipped cream on top of this amazing treat is the cafe with espresso, coffee, tea, and even more pastries. And the cherry on top of that is the corn maze featuring an interactive game in October. Come by this place. If you do not, you will surely regret it. The address is 670 Daniels Farm Road in Trumbull, Connecticut. The crypt at Center Church on the Green? Shh, it's a secret. One of New Haven's best-kept secrets. 135 gravestones under the center church. The gravestones are from 1682 to 1812. That include President Rutherford's family, Benedict Arnold's wife, and Reverend James Pierpoint. It is also suspected of having over 1,000 unmarked graves. In 1985, Water got trapped under the church's concrete, and when the floor was removed, dirt filled with bodies were discovered. Tours are free, and on the first Sunday of each month at 11 a.m. Go see this cool underground crypt. The address is 250 Temple Street in New Haven, Connecticut. Go to Lewis Lunch. Grab a bite to eat at Lewis Lunch, the oldest burger restaurant in the United States. 
This place is the birthplace of the burger, so you can expect to have one of the best burgers. This place opened in 1895, and it is a fourth-generation family-run business. Always make sure you support local businesses. It is a limited, simple menu, a burger or a cheeseburger, only tomato and onion, no condiments. These are world-famous hamburger sandwiches that have been pleasing customers since 1895. Even after all these years, you can expect a line at lunchtime. Stop by this iconic, historic Little Red Diner. Bring cash because it's cash only. The address is 261-263 Crown Street in New Haven, Connecticut. Visit the Grave of Midnight Mary, the resting place of Mary Hart. Mary had some sort of attack and fainted at midnight, and her lovely husband just assumed she was dead and buried her immediately. The night of the funeral, her sister woke up at midnight from a nightmare. She had about her sister screaming from the grave. She begged to have her sister exhumed. When the casket was opened, Mary's fingers were bloody, her fingernails were ripped off, and she had a petrified expression on her face. Well, it looks like she was buried alive. Her tomb says the following. At high noon, just from and about to renew her daily work in her full strength of body and mind, Mary E. Hart, having fallen remained unconscious until she died at midnight, October 15th, 1872. Born December 16th, 1824. Well, she died on my birthday, October 15th. I mean, I wasn't born in 1872. If I was, I look pretty damn good for my age. Oh, and also, across the top, it says, People shall be troubled at midnight and pass away. If you believe in any urban legends, Mary was a witch in life and she cursed her grave. And anybody who was there at midnight would meet a terrible end when the witch rose from the dead. To get to her grave, enter the cemetery, take the first available left, keep going until you can go no further. See the fence that's parallel, Winthrop Street, turn right, keep going until you see an old gate on the right. There is a stone marker in front of the grave that reads 50 and another that reads 51. If the stone markers go past these numbers, you have gone too far. What a spooky story. Go to the place in Guilford, Connecticut. During the springtime, this amazing outdoor restaurant opens. This open-air restaurant is a quirky outdoor eatery with stump seats surrounded by bright red tables. And it is a delicious cookout every night. The 18-foot-long fire pit is manned by savvy grill masters who cook outdoors right next to the dining area. The delectable food is posted on a wooden red menu 
that features clams, steamers, mussels, fish, shrimp, lobster, steak, chicken, fire-roasted corn, desserts, ice cream, and so much more. No need to be fancy here. Just come and have a great time and great food. Also, it's BYOB. The place in Guilford is open Monday through Thursday, 5 to 9. Friday, 5 to 10. Saturday, 1 to 10. And Sunday, noon to 9. No credit cards are accepted. Make sure you bring cash or use the ATM machine, which is on site. You are more than welcome to bring your own beer. The place is located at 891 Boston Post Road in Guilford, Connecticut. While you're in Guilford, make sure you go by Jacob's Beach. It is 25 acres of sandy shoreline off the Long Island Sound. For a small fee, you can go there. It has a marvelous curved shoreline and is a much quieter beach. There is a playground, picnic areas, grills, and bathrooms, not to mention the breathtaking view of the sunset. Jacob's Beach is located at 198 Seaside Avenue in Guilford, Connecticut. Go to Norm's Diner. This nostalgic diner has been around since the 1950s. It is a local small business, and I love to see these retro fun places. Silver and blue with a big Pepsi sign that says Norm's. Step inside this old school diner car. It's retro with turquoise and pink tile, stools, and vinyl booths. This is one of the best breakfast spots. Breathe in the history of this amazing place and then stuff your face with some tasty breakfast. It is located at 171 Bridge Street in Groton, Connecticut. Go to Veterans Memorial Park in Middletown, Connecticut. This is one of my favorites, Sergeant Stubby, the most decorated dog of World War I. Oh yes, and he's a pit bull. Because it's not a bad breed. There's just shitty people. Private J. Robert Conroy found a stray dog in 1917, who he named Stubby. He smuggled Stubby onto a boat when he was deployed to France. Stubby, of course, uplifted the morale and was allowed to stay. He would lay with wounded soldiers on the battlefield and he would alert to areas where the wounded soldiers were. He alerted troops of gas attacks and even subdued a German soldier. Stubby even got wounded. Don't worry, he recovered. And while recovering, he comforted wounded soldiers in the hospitals. When the 102nd Infantry's commanding officer requested Stubby to receive the title of sergeant, they agreed to making him the first dog with a rank in the United States Air Force. When a town in France was liberated, the local woman made Stubby a hand-sewn blanket embroidered with the Allies' flags. I love Stubby so much. After the war, Stubby toured with Conrad. He led troops in parades 
received honorary memberships in the YMCA and the American Legion, as well as a medal from the Humane Society. Stubby even met Presidents Harding, Coolidge, and Wilson. Another example of how truly amazing animals are. Stubby died in 1926. His body was preserved and is at the Smithsonian in D.C. Honor this incredible dog. His beautiful bronze statue. He's even sporting his blanket in this statue. It's definitely a sight to see. Pitbulls are absolutely amazing dogs. Always help stray dogs. Never turn a blind eye to an animal in need. And don't shop adopt. Go to Enders Falls. Connecticut has some truly amazing waterfalls. And Enders Falls is one of those. Enders Falls has a total of five waterfalls and several have refreshing swimming spots. The first falls is a six-foot cascade. The second falls is best seen crossing the stream. This has a 30-foot plunge into a refreshing pool. The third fall is a 218-foot drop and is best seen from the opposite side of the stream on the bank. The fourth fall is not too far downstream. The brook slips off a 12-foot drop down into a pool below. The fifth fall is a 15-foot two-segment plunge that marks the end of the drops. A gathering of small boulders outlines a medium-sized pool at the base of the falls, which is likely to be less crowded than those above. Make sure to visit all five waterfalls and make most of this remarkable destination. Enjoy a summer day in one of the refreshing pools and make sure you're always safe. Injuries have occurred there. This is a nice getaway into nature. From Route 20, take Route 219 West for 1.4 miles in Granby, Connecticut. Go to the Traveler Restaurant in Union, Connecticut. What's better than eating at a small town diner? Well, at Traveler's Restaurant, you get a free book from its library. And oh boy, they have a collection of books. They give away about 1,000 to 2,000 books each week to hungry bookworms. The walls of this diner is lined with books. That's a lot of dusting. There's Western, cookbooks, paperbacks, children books, romance novels, horror books. They got it all. Naturally, the owner, Marty Doyle, is an avid reader. He began bringing his books into the diner since the 1980s. These were all from his personal collection. In 1993, when he sold... The new owners came in, and now most of the books are donated from the local libraries and members of the community. What a neat idea. They also have yummy cocktails, pies, apple crisp, strawberry shortcake. Their menu is actually pretty big. Breakfast is until 11. They have sandwiches named after books such as The Wizard of Oz, The Raven, Catcher in the Rye, and Moby Dick. Do not forget about this local small business. 
The address is 1257 Buckley Highway, I-84 in Union, Connecticut. Are you ready for another amazing place? The Frog Rock Summer Shack. This is one of the most unique rest stops you will ever see. And this kooky place will be no short break. First of all, there's a giant rock painted like a frog. There is a gift shop that you can get maple syrup, t-shirts, grab a bite to eat. There's burgers, fries, fried seafood, that yummy, delicious road trip food. And while you enjoy this delicious food at the picnic area, listen to some live music on their outdoor stage. There's a playground for the kids. It is also a small local business and it is truly an awesome place to go to. This quirky rest area is at 212 Pomfret Road, Route 44 in Eastford, Connecticut. And finally... Go to Alice in the Village in Mystic, Connecticut. One of my favorite attractions is an enchanting Alice in Wonderland themed tea room in Mystic, Connecticut. This charming spot celebrates everything from the storybook. From delightful decor to delicious treats. If you are looking for a spot of tea in a whimsical place, this is it. Visit Alice in the Village at 27 Coogan Boulevard, number 26A in Mystic, Connecticut. And now it is time for our final destination. Let's get wicked. We will be heading to Windsor, Connecticut at the intersection of Central Street and Broad Street near the post office. At the green in this area, there is a memorial brick for Alice Young and Lydia Gilbert. These women were executed for witchcraft. Connecticut heard 45 witchcraft cases, with 11 of them ending in execution. When people hear witch trials, they automatically think Salem. But nearly 47 years before, Connecticut had their own witch trials, which they tried to cover up. In 1642, Connecticut made witchcraft a crime punishable by death. The settlers in 1642 suffered great deals of hardships. There was diseases, epidemics, starvation, extreme climates, and this fed their feelings of hostility to the world and anyone in their community that did not follow social and personal norms. They would hate me. The women were second-class citizens, and most of the accused executed witches were poor and single moms, though greed could have played a role in this. In many cases of witchcraft around the world, the women were married, and though they had children, they did not have sons. When a woman's husband would die, that meant she would inherit the estate. But if the wife died and they had no sons, the estate would go to the community. With that, the community accused those women to ensure they would inherit their estate. That is absolutely awful. And it's never said what happens to the children. 
some of those circumstances, the first colonial American that was executed as a witch, Alice Young. She was born in 1600, married to John Young, and had a daughter. She was a botanist that was accused of witchcraft and that she created a pandemic that killed the children in the town of Windsor. She was hung in May 1647 in Hartford, survived by her husband and daughter, and her daughter was even accused later on down the road of being a witch in Springfield, Massachusetts, but she was luckily exonerated. The next was Mary Johnson. She was the first recorded confession of witchcraft. She was a servant who had legal troubles that started in 1646. She was accused of theft. Minister Samuel Stone would torture and whip her. It's always the super religious ones doing the awful shit. He did this until she confessed to witchcraft. She said the devil helped her with her chores, uncleansliness with the devil and men, and she even murdered a child. She was hung after giving birth to a child to a man that she was not married to. The newborn baby would be raised by her prison's keeper's son until the child reached the age of 21. Three years after Johnson's execution, John and Joan Carrington, a married couple from Wethersfield, were accused and executed for witchcraft. Even less is known about this couple or the circumstances surrounding their ordeal, but they were both prominent members of the community who inherited their estate. Marjorie Bassett Hollins from Fairfield was executed in 1651. Elizabeth Knapp from Fairfield was executed in 1653. And Lydia Gilbert from Windsor was executed in 1654. Then there was the notorious Hartford Witch Trial. This all started in the spring of 1662 when nine-year-old Elizabeth Kelly died. She had just visited their neighbor, Goodwife Ayers, a few days before, and she was fine. This must have been the hand of the devils. A quote from History.com states the following, quote, The parents were convicted that Elizabeth had been fatally possessed by Goody Ayers. The Kellys testified that their daughter first took ill the night after she returned home with her neighbor, and that she exclaimed, Father, Father, help me, help me, Goodwife Ayers is upon me. She chokes me. She kneels on my belly. She will break my bowels. She pinches me. She will make me black and blue. End quote. After this, all hell broke loose in Hartford. All because Elizabeth's parents couldn't accept the fact that her daughter could have just died from an illness. Accusations of bewitchment flew and fingers were pointed at numerous townspeople. As a result of this, 
There would be seven trials and four executions. And then there was that bitch, Anne Cole, who suddenly became troubled. She was, quote, taken with strange fits, wherein she, or rather the devil, as Tis judged, making use of her lips, held a disclosure for a considerable time. Cole would accuse her neighbor, Rebecca Greensmith, of bewitching her. Goody Ayers' husband even jumped on the bandwagon accusing Rebecca. This was possibly an attempt to save his wife, but still, that's super shitty of him. He should know what it feels like to be... But still, that is super shitty of him. He should know what it feels like to be accused of something. Greensmith herself testified that she had familiarity with the devil and said that at Christmas they would have a merry meeting and then a plot twist. She even implicated her own husband and said she met in the woods with seven other women, including Goody Ayers, Mary Sanford, and Elizabeth Seeger. Neighbors testified that they saw Seeger dancing with other women in the woods and cooking mysterious concoctions in black kettles. Two of the accused, most likely Rebecca Greensmith and John Greensmith, were subjected to the swimming test in which their hands and feet would be bound and they were cast into water to test the theory that witches are unable to sink. Did anyone swim back then? Because if they did, they would know that people float, and then their theory would be proven wrong. Or everybody would just be witches. Nathaniel claimed his innocence, and his wife Rebecca admitted to being a witch on the stand. They were both executed, and Cole was back to being healthy after their deaths. That's one shady bitch. Mary Sanford, whom Rebecca Greensmith accused of being a witch and dancing in the woods, was executed in 1662. Goody Ayers fled Hartford. That was a good decision because the town was literally going crazy. Seeger was convicted of witchcraft in 1665 but one year later, the governor reversed the verdict. Finally, one sane fucking person around. Unfortunately, this was not the outcome for Mary Barnes of Farmington, who somehow got swept into this witch hunt and was executed shortly after the Greensmiths. Catherine Harrison would mark the end of the witch trials. She was a widow and the estate was left to her and her children. She didn't have a great relationship with her neighbors who accused her of witchcraft. She was found guilty of witchcraft in May 1669. She got lucky when Governor John Winthrop Jr. and his assistant would decide her verdict. John was a skeptic and avoided bringing witchcraft cases to trial. Winthrop maintained a strong interest in the occult and alchemy, a mystical form of chemical experimentation for the benefit of medicine, mining, and industry. Winthrop was also an avid astronomer. He even brought the first telescope to the colonies. He also discovered a fifth moon, which is Jupiter. Before deciding Harris's fate, 
Winthrop and his assistants sought clarification of the standard for evidence in witchcraft cases. In very few cases was there physical evidence of verifiable offenses, leaving only spectral dreams or other visions in the absence of the body, which of course was hearsay and therefore unreliable. The Harrison case marked a change in Connecticut magistrates approach that had been brewing for some time, as many shifted from being witch hunters to witch skeptics. Harrison's death sentence was overturned, and she was released with the recommendation that for her own safety she leaves town. Accusations, trials, and even convictions would continue for several decades, including a second panic in Fairfield. But never again would a witch be executed in the state of Connecticut. 376 years later, ancestors of the executed and witch historians fought for exoneration of these innocent people. And in May 2023, Connecticut exonerated the people that were tried and executed of witchcraft. The resolution resulted from the Connecticut Witch Trial Exoneration Project. Who would make the state lawmakers apologize for the fate suffered by many convicted of witchcraft? So while you're at the memorial bricks for Alice and Lydia, pay your respects to these innocent women who were wrongfully accused of witchcraft and murdered, and they deserve more than just bricks. Alice and Lydia's bricks are located in a small plaza in the green area in downtown Windsor. The green lies at the intersection of Central Street and Broad Street near the post office. Parking is available on the street or at the nearby Windsor Public Library. And this concludes my episode of Wicked Wanderers. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate everything you guys do. And as always, wander more and stay wicked. Bye. Thank you for listening to Wicked Wanderers. If you could please rate and review, five stars would be amazing, especially on Apple Podcast or Spotify. This helps others find my podcast. I write, edit, and produce this podcast all by myself. If you wish to donate to the cause, you can at patreon.com slash wickedwanderers. You can do a general donation, or I do have a monthly Patreon subscription. There is a bonus episode posted. If you have any places that you have traveled to, or any fun things that you've gone and done, please email those to me at wickedwandererspodcast at gmail. Pictures of all the areas discussed will be posted on my Instagram at wicked underscore wanderers podcast. Links to where I found some of my information is listed in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. 
I love each and every single one of you.